Welcome to Ace Rodney. Rodney talks for the superstars. Tonight, tonight. Welcome back to Office Hours. I'm Ernest Wilkins. Office Hours is a podcast about the business of culture and has made it mess, a design, development, and content studio located in Chicago. Mess helps brands tell their story online and off. Find out more by visiting www.madeatmess.com. I've been going silly for the west side. You might catch me rolling where the reps ride. Ain't no opposition, I'm the best ride. I might take my city I'm back. It's Ernest. Um, I'm the host of the show. You knew that because you are subscribed to it or you're just discovering it for the first time in this newsletter. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for subscribing. Thank you so much for being yourself with me today. Folks, I'm really excited because this is our first two-time, two-time, two-time Office Hours interviewee. Ladies and gentlemen, the unsinkable, the unstoppable Carly Fisher. Carly, what's up? Hey. (laughs) Yes! for me. I'm happy to be here. I love it. How are you? What's going on? I'm doing good. You know, I feel like the thing is with Chicago, I started noticing before I left was that it was so chaotic in terms of the way that the weather was Mm. because I would like every single hour I was always checking my weather app. I was just thinking like, oh, um, is it going to be, you know, sunny? So I'd ride my bike in. And then by the the afternoon when I get off work, it would be hailing. And I was like, what? Why is this happening to me? (laughs) I need a jacket. It's 50 degrees. And I always just sort of, a, I guess that's when I knew climate change was real. Let's so. see, see? And you know what? <laughs> it takes time to learn these lessons, but you're you're better for learning them every time. You know, I don't want to say I'm ahead of the curve on uh, climate change, <laughs> but I saw the weather and paid attention to it. You, you, are, you are a climate change influencer? <laughs> yeah, step over Greta. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, Carly, I'm really happy you're here. Obviously, you know, you're from Chicago. That's where I met you originally. I think I met you through Kate, actually. Probably, that would make yeah, sense. you know. So again, Chicago media. That's it. We're, we're small, but we're scrappy. That's true. Um, and so through that, you have just been taking over the damn world with all kinds of fantastic freelance writing. And now you are putting out a book. Oh, my God. I can't even believe it. You're putting out a book. I, I feel like I didn't, I didn't want to go to grad school because uh-huh. I thought... Um, that was money I didn't have. Yeah. So I, the thing was, at least with a book, I was like, well, at least I get a book out of it. Yeah. So it's really, so it's <laughs> funny. I've been, you know, toiling over this book. And I did all this research and you just get into it. And I realized, oh, this is kind I mean, I don't know what it's like to go to grad school, but this is what I would imagine. Right. It's like being grad school. So to that point, I think a lot of people who are in the world of freelance or people who might want to get into freelancing, but are a little too scared or maybe don't know necessarily what they can expect. I want to talk to you today kind of about the business of creating basically culture. <laughs> so like books, you know, conversations, news, all of those things. You have been a very outspoken advocate for cannabis legalization. You you know, you do a lot of writing in that space. I think you've actually one of the first ones who was really writing about it in a uh, a format that wasn't like preachy but also wasn't like I felt like I was at a 311 concert. <laughs> You know what I'm talking about? Like well, sometimes hot smokers too. It's okay. Well, no, like I, trust me. I like three, there's like yeah. five three eleven songs that are undefeated. But sublime, I'm, I think, is more of like the yeah. That's a, yeah. But like you know, <laughs> then there's like the subgroups like Pepper and like all of those. Oh, anyway. there's so many. Well, I mean, honestly, if you look at cannabis as being a medium, mm-hmm. it is a culture and it has been a subculture because prohibition for it has been around for so long. And I don't know. Every single person I know has smoked weed and. 
their parents, some of them would smoke weed oh, yeah. with them. Yeah. And, you know, the, the thing is the culture of every place that I had sort of been traveling, I, I started being able to get weed wherever I would travel to, which I yeah. thought was obviously I'm white and a girl, so it's sort of disarming. <laughs> um, they don't see you, you know, coming. Yeah. They're like, oh, you know, I'm like, I'm not, I had this happen actually when I was in Maui. Um, mm-hmm. I, I wanted to try Maui Wowie so bad. Yeah, like of course. Legendary strain, right? It yeah. grows there. So there's this guy, there's, I mean, you'd see like the guys at the surf shop. I mean, it's so cliche, but come mm-hmm. on, we know it. It's like, Spicoli looking dudes. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I, I, like their eyes are all burned out, whatever. <laughs> and meanwhile, I'm like at this conference and I'm like, you know, hey, I just want to like score some weed. <laughs> you're like, hi. And like, hi. And I'm like, and so they'd be sort of wary. And I'm like, I'm not a narc. I just, I just really want some weed because mm-hmm. I don't want to really hang out at this resort except for the beach. I just want to be high on the beach. So um, this guy ended up selling it to me or whatever, but it was, it was interesting in that way because everywhere I went, I realized that the culture of cannabis is so different. Mm -hmm. I mean, even calling it cannabis is such a new thing as part of destigmatization. I hate it. I hate it. It sounds so like, because medical, right? But it's like an MBA word. It's like, (laughs) Oh, we're we're partaking in cannabis. Like get the hell out of here. Like nobody talks like, if you talked about like that around me, you're getting a wedgie. Yeah. We're bringing back bullying for one night only. Well, you know, that's the thing is that in the efforts to destigmatize, it's created more stigmatization because Mm -hmm. we're trying to tame this plant or yeah. whatever it is. And and part of that is it is so culturally relevant, yeah. right? So when you talk about monetizing or from an economic perspective, mm-hmm. um, there's a lot of different people who are in this and especially California has been leading the charge on, I mean, not California because Seattle and Denver, all of them are going to be like, we had weed culture yeah. too. Yeah, and every, sure. everybody I know like has some opinion on it if you know they were already a big heavy hitter or whatever. And meanwhile, I have my own little rituals, but I like that people have different rituals when it comes to smoking their weed because it's very private. And when you invite someone into that space, you know, this whole idea of being communal with weed now and all the different ways you can do it um, is just a really fascinating time. And obviously Chicago is about to legalize January 2020. Mm -hmm. It's already passed it. Um, But you've had medical. So there already is a culture that exists here. There's a culture that existed here since I was in high school. Oh, yeah. Obviously, going to like Wendy's, you know. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I just was thinking about, I had a friend who thought that she, I don't even Park a lot of Wendy's for sure. I just remember even like back in the day, one of my friends had um, said they had chronic and that it was grown with orange peels or something. People used to lie. Like weed myths are some of my favorite (laughs) things. People like, yo, if you eat a banana after smoking weed, it makes the hot crazier. And it's like, what? Like, Also, why am I taking advice from the kid who who genuinely failed out of physics? Like, you don't know what the hell you're talking about, Randy. Like, what the hell's wrong with you? Yeah, Randy. Yeah, Randy. There's actually a game with my high school named Randy. He's going to be pissed. Um, so I I want to take a step back to the conversation you were just talking about in terms of the cultures. Because I think you're right. It's definitely a regional thing. But the other thing that I, I see with a lot of resistance to legalization of cannabis isn't people don't want weed. It's people don't want weed from the people that are offering it to them. Right. So like you talk about this like very private thing. There seems to kind of be this like I don't trust these people because these people do not look like me. They do not associate with me. Yeah. And so like a lot of the people in the street, like I did this thing for Chicago magazine. I was just like asking, I just texted people all over different walks of life, friends, acquaintances. And I was like, how do you feel about weed getting legalized? And I would say the number one thing that came back was like, I don't trust them to do it right. So like a lot of people are just going to stick with whatever situation they were already having or, you know, go through wherever they were already getting it from. And I kind of want to, 
do you think that has something to do with the culture of weed changing as it becomes legal? I feel like it's such a complicated thing because you have to look at the way legalization has hit other states and mm. what changes with the culture um, and what the culture was already existing. And I think um, to your point, as far as what you're trusting and who you're trusting is kind of a relative thing because there's good and bad trade-offs for all of it, right? Right. So, for instance, uh, I love buying from the eight different people that I have in my phone. Right, right, right. Um, the network. I, you know, I live in Brooklyn now, but I know if I were to ask anyone here or wherever I'm going, mm-hmm. it's fine. Um, but I also know that there's medical patients, right? So right. if you have cancer, you need to make sure that your weed is clean. Right. And frankly, I don't know, if you love having delicious vegetables from your farmer's market, why wouldn't you want to have some nice organically grown yeah. cannabis or yeah. weed? Can, should I just stick to calling it weed? Call it weed. Yeah, the cannabis like, thing. I'm just like, oh. I get it. I feel like, like there's going to be a test at the end of this. You know, I've just been smoking weed for so long that it's weed to me. It's weed. Yeah, and I like yeah. it that way because it also, I said, I'm like, weed is going to get so... Boring. Nobody is anticipating how boring this is going to get. It's going to turn into Pier 1 Imports. It's Pier 1 Imports. It already is. I mean, I go to TJ Maxx and you go to the deep discount aisle and there's CBD and hemp and all this stuff in there, right? Yeah. And so the fact that people can't rectify that this plant is the same thing throughout and Mm -hmm. that there's been these, uh, you know, the black market has uh, basically supported communities that were already underserved. So when you talk about bringing in... You know, you have to have the scientific component and you have to have this other component in terms of regulation. But, you know, because this is where this money is going to pour and it's going to help. It's going to help everywhere. I mean, Denver, I mean, Colorado is just swimming in the amount of money that they have that's making off it, which bless them. I'm glad they have that. Mm -hmm. And I'm hoping the same for Chicago. But I also know that a lot of companies who had economic interests and, you know, venture capitalist funding, um, a lot of it even coming from. Cigarette and pharmaceutical companies yeah. are investing in the thing that they're trying to destroy because it's not actually about morality. It's about, um, you know, economic interest. Right. So the whole point is, I actually think that regulation is good. Mm. I think that regulating a product, but it's also bad. Depends on what it is. Depends I'll say it depends. Okay. Yeah, Let's just okay. say everything is relative. Right. Because we don't know. Right. And we don't know who's getting what. I think one of the things that's really important is that I want... Um, everyone released from jail immediately yeah. that is suffering for crimes committing that people have on on NASDAQ. If yeah. you can trade weed on NASDAQ, nobody should be incarcerated for it. Yeah, agreed. Um, they're actually, so that's one of the key initiatives around uh, Illinois' legalization habits. Like they're saying, you know, they're going to expunge something like 750,000 records that were people who were knocked from uh, marijuana convictions. Yeah. So to that point, I mean, it's a good thing, right? Because it's like, okay, at least those people are getting out of jail. Those people are, what I would love, and I know that there are transition team people that are put in in Illinois to help to like navigate these people who were selling this product. Like, you know, the argument's been made like, okay, these people have done this to a level where you're incarcerating them for really long sentences. Maybe we should try to, now that it's legal, give them the opportunity to, to make a legitimate business. Because- if they're making a ton of money illegally, the, the thought process would be if you get rid of the hurdles of the illegal nature of it, maybe they can create some business and bring some revenue to their neighborhoods. Which would be amazing because yeah. they already had a business. Why right. not try and make it okay for everybody or right. decriminalize it, like empower people, use it to, I mean, these were economic drivers for neighborhoods to begin with. What if they were using this to improve the neighborhoods instead of, yeah. you know, always selling it out to developers to come in and, you know, like people should be working together mm-hmm. instead of against each other, you know? Yeah. 
Um, and that's one of the things that I always worry about is the economic interest because people who are just and you can't control it. Right. You right. can't control the, the fact these people have more money. But I also think that speaking out about it and um, supporting uh, justice initiatives like no new jails or national bailout or um, anything that is for small business communities mm. that can help uplift people and get them training uh, where people who are already doing it could just do it legit. Yeah. I think anyone would want that. I mean. I've been talking to dealers um, all the time about this, even before it started really taking shape on the West Coast, right. um, because I was asking, you know, when it comes to legalization in New York City, where I am, would you want to be legit? And they're like, yeah, we're I mean, they're branded up. Like, right. These people are ready to go. Like, I mean, one of the people that I, you know, uh get from is just entirely staffed by queer and trans people of color Love it. which is amazing like, what it. an awesome coalition that you made yeah. together to serve your community and other people while and also, you're giving like, work to people who probably have been passed yeah, over for work exactly yeah. and it's creating safe spaces for people that can also be like well we have a client list and like that way they know that they're operating well i mean i think any sub community yeah. um underground community just has to you know operate safely and wants to mm -hmm. it's usually you know the people who are the most uptight about it are bootleggers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, which is funny. And they don't think they are. I mean, no. I think most people don't think that they're, it's, you know, it's, it's like passive racism, right? Yeah, it's, it's like very, it, yeah. It's, people will very much look out for themselves and they don't see the bigger picture from it because they think this is illegal and I don't want to do something illegal because I'm worried about getting in trouble right. for it. But when you can walk into store and get it, why can't you see the connection to the people that were already doing this? Right. And it's, it's just erasure. And I think that's, a, you know, people are talking like weed gentrification and it's like, well, it's one of those things that it's going to become, you're going to see some cringeworthy stuff. Like I was like, once le week is legalized, some of the advertising around it is going to be just absolutely gruesome. Oh man, it already is. <laughs> like there's some, like, you know, that's when I knew when I was in Seattle, cause Seattle, when I think of it, like, and bless Seattle, like I work for, like, I've never been yet. Um, Seattle is a place that I have such a weird love hate relationship uh -huh. with because it. I know it's not like all, all white, but mm -hmm. it feels white, and I and I also don't want to. That's like a separate conversation because right. I feel like that's whatever. Yeah. Anyways, point being is is that um, in Seattle they've had it uh, destigmatized or they've had it legalized mm -hmm. for so long that you know you can just walk into a store but everyone is so polite about it because mm. you don't smoke anywhere and i feel like chicago is going to be kind of this way too with a little bit of this tepidness mm -hmm. versus i don't know in new york city right now it's de it's decriminalized right. right so you can get like a fine or something but it smells like weed everywhere yeah but nobody cares nobody and it's cares. like I mean, I don't know. Nobody ever had a problem with it to begin with. Most people are used to seeing rats and trash dumpsters in New York. Like, I'm not really easily offended. No. I feel like, you know, in some of the ways we clean up cities, we also take away a lot of the things that make it more interesting. Like, having things a little unpolished is mm -hmm. actually kind of nice. Yeah. that's a, I think that's one of the main comments I see from, because it's been interesting. There's been a big exodus of native New Yorkers to Chicago Yeah. Um, in the last, like, 18 months, I would say. And I've had conversations with the folks that I know who moved here. And I'm just like, like, what brought you to Chicago? Y'all were talking hella smack about it. But it was one of those things where they were just like, it's a city. It isn't like a mall. I mean, some parts of the city are definitely like turning into malls. But like, for the most part, the feeling that a lot of people are getting here, they used to get from New York. Yeah. And now the communities and the environment and kind of the people aren't as... Uh, I don't want to say prioritized in New York as they used to be, but like the folks who were making New York the thing that people wanted to like leave their small town and go to 
those people don't have like a place to do that as much anymore. Yeah, I'm like, just go to another ancillary city or something. Yeah. For me, I moved to New York because I knew I needed to be there. Like, yeah. I'm, I mean, I don't want to be like, I belong in New York City. But yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I also, like, I was born in Miami, Florida, and I was raised by like retired, like, New York Jewish people. I think it sort of felt right for me to be back. The motherland. Yeah, near my bagels. <laughs> near my bagels. And yeah. My, you know, and my grandmother's actually from Philadelphia, so mm. I always feel kind of a East Coast connection sure. out there. Um, I mean, I sort of landed in Chicago, and I, I love Chicago. Whenever I come back here, my favorite part is that I feel like this is my best. Okay, you're oh. going to appreciate this. Okay. Because I know that Chicago loves to talk so much smack about New York, yeah. right? Of I, course. And I'm like, I'm sorry. Like, nobody in New York ever, like, thinks about Chicago. Not a, Well, <laughs> until there's an article that needs to be written about being somewhere for 36 hours or less, and then they come to Chicago and do a really shitty job. Well, there's that, but that's also the New York Times' fault. That's not yeah. New York's fault. I Okay, keep going, keep going. <laughs> but I will say, in regards to it, is that I lived in Chicago long enough that I have like ownership right to talk yeah. smack about it, because I can say, come back here and be like, listen, Chicago, there's a lot of things that I love about yeah. you, but we know a lot of things Every that are year. not. Agreed. And so that's one of the things I remember. Oh, you just gotta have the rep. So you have the rep because you yeah. lived here long enough you could talk about it but like yeah what gets me is i know I'm, the yeah. jewels yeah the jewels yeah, yeah yeah and you know what when i moved here in 1994 oprah winfrey was on tv okay and like <laughs> that's what i woke up to with my first snowfall <laughs> i know more about chicago than some of the people that think they've lived here 10 look, years look there's like, we we're pulling cards <laughs> on the regular out here people, <laughs> the thing that the new hot thing is when people move here from like insert city in michigan here and then they'll be like well, you know, real Chicagoans like to do it this way. And I'm just like, bruh. It's like, bring me the Connie's pizza. Like, you know, <laughs> I know for a fact you've never had Riccobinis, brother. You need to go on and sit down. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> and honestly, people who live here, like, I, I mean, you know, I used to write food guides all the time. Oh, yeah. And there's some places like Lem's that have been here forever. And people ever. are like, where's the best barbecue? And they they never want to go to the South Side. Yeah. Like, ever. That's my biggest pet peeve. And so we do that. Which is probably, I guess, to the betterment of the South Side. Yeah, like, get like, out oh, of yeah, here. yeah, keep not coming here while you guys improve it. Be like, all right, we're just going to make our own little spot. I wrote a thing for <laughs> Chicago Magazine, a bit of a Chicago Magazine for the reader, about the sweet steak sandwich, right? And it was baffling to me how many people who are like, ultimate chicago foodie like I, everything i've had everything and it's like you've never had one of these things but this thing has been around longer than a majority of the sandwiches you've had that you consider the equivalent of the real chicago stuff mm. so it just rings kind of hollow and i'm just like who are you like so let's, let's 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 pivot into that so i think one of the most interesting things about your career is that you've always kind of focused on things that are things that people need more than they want Right. Because it's like you need camaraderie, you need food, you need a place to relax, you need a, a way to relax. Like, so I've noticed that theme in your writing. I want to talk about that. Like, do you feel, am I off on that? Like, I actually think that's a really insightful and interesting feedback because I never thought of it that way. Yeah. Um, but it's it's interesting because I, I definitely just sort of started writing about everything that I love and makes mm. me happy. Yeah. And so I was like, I really like this. I like food and I like going out and I like learning a lot of things. And mm. I don't know, I think I just sort of kept up with it because especially with food, it's hospitality, right? Right. And everybody has a universal connection with food. I think that's where it started was that I actually went to school to be a food photographer and I switched into journalism. Oh, wow. So and I was probably better suited. Where'd you, for, go, to, where'd you go to school? University of Illinois in Champaign. Okay. So I went there, graduated 2008, mm -hmm. and immediately didn't have a job. Same. <laughs> like three unpaid internships yeah. while just, you know, scraping by. Uh, working at a place like Kaplan University, <laughs> filing, you know, things. It was so dumb. And then yeah. 
But I also worked for Venus Zine, which um, I don't know if you remember that back in the day, but mm-hmm. it was this women's music magazine um, because, uh, and it was started by Amy Schroeder. So mm-hmm. interestingly enough, a lot of uh, really talented female uh music writers. I mean, I think they had more, they might have had some non-female, but at the time it was, you know, I I actually met Amy at an outdoor fair and she was hawking her, her magazine and it had Kathleen Hanna and the Butchies on it. And oh, I was wow. a giant riot girl when I was in high school. Okay. So like, you know, not to say it was cool, <laughs> but yes, I was a Bikini Kill fan and a Slater Kinney fan. So I was really into that. And, you know, that's when you still had to look at record stores and you really had to take chances on stuff and hear recommendations. And, you know, I guess that shows how old I am. Um, <laughs> but that's the thing is, you know, you know what it's like to burn a CD. You know, oh, yeah. It's like to do all that kind of work. You really had to put in work to finding your interests. Right. And I think that level of discovery was always something that I really enjoyed, which is how with music or food or whatever, I just, anything that I loved, I love discovering it. Right. Um, which now I'm like, am I Columbusing it? I don't know. <laughs> like, what's who discovered it if it's already there, Yeah, right? exactly. It's kind of like I tell people yeah. and they're like, oh, that's cool. That's of interest to me. So um, in life, yeah, I started with food. And then, I don't know, once you work in food, you have a base understanding of stuff. So there, but food is so relative because you could be talking about cooking, you right. could be talking about cultural relationships. And I always thought the cultural relationships of food were so much interesting than where to get a sandwich. Like I, I specialized in doing all these guides and letting people know because most people are like, oh, I want the local experience. Right. And I'm like, you don't really want you the local You don't want the experience. local experience. No, you don't. You want to like, I know what you actually want. Most right. people think they want the local experience. I'm like, you want the fantasy of being on vacation. Just, it'd be so much easier if you would stop dirtying the word tourist. You don't live there. Yeah. If you want to be a, a boring local, you will be sitting watching Netflix. At the crib. And like getting, yeah, yeah. You're not, that's what my local experience is. Yeah. Which is why, you know, if I'm going to do a pied a terre or something in Paris, sitting there and like, you know, being in that apartment and writing was my vision of how I want to live. But that's not a, a guide that I write. Yeah. That's just something you do. So in line with that, I think uh, I lost track of your original no, you're, question. No, you're fine. I mean, this the, the, the point is the conversation in and of itself, right? So I think the other thing that is really interesting to me is the concept of people don't know what they want. Yeah. Because... And it kind of just thinking about it from a realm of like journalism, like everyone wants a free paper that does really good everything, really good in-depth, you know, writing and interviews and, you know, conversations and makes people feel smarter. But I really think that the reality is the exact opposite. What people want now, and this is a a note because I want to segue into this conversation for folks who might be a little younger who are listening to this who are trying to figure their shit out who are like oh maybe i want to be a writer like a lot of times it feels like people just want to be told what to do or be given some sort of like anecdote that they can say at a party yeah like i I want to be like oh i heard this thing i also feel like marketing kind of drives a lot of these trends right Mm -hmm. the whole thing is that you have to remember that journalism has really changed a lot but it also hasn't in a lot of ways yeah the format changed, and the way that they priced it out, I thought was stupid from the beginning. Um, because I well, thought, real quick, because oh, you're you and I are the same age range, so yes. like we both did. We're like recession kids. Like we both jumped into this at the worst possible time in history. So like, what has changed <laughs> or between the best. or the best, depending on who, how you look at it? But like in this conversation, what has changed since then, and what do you think has stayed the same? So I actually went through a J school, right? Yeah. So I don't actually know how journalism schools are now or mm-hmm. how they're teaching it. But at the time, we were having to learn traditional print journalism, right? 
And that approach is so different than digital. I mean, magazine and newspaper journalism are already different, but the digital stuff was really just picking up when I was in college or right after it, right? Right. So the valuation of that, the difference is, is that you, if you had a newspaper or you had a magazine, the circulation of what those print copies would value what it is. So they're trying to make back what they print. Right. Um, and then hopefully a lot more on top of it. Yeah. And because of that, they're selling a product and people are buying it. Uh, it also is used to pay people salaries, which is why they had way better budgets. The problem is when they started putting in the social media and all of the, the digital stuff is that um, it really devalued it because the click-through rate isn't actually a correct impression versus a newspaper circulation. Right. It's not like somebody looking at your article online is not the same as digesting a magazine that you tangibly have. So they devalued it. They said, well, you know, we don't have paper, so therefore the words are meaningless. And right. I'm like, well, that's not what people are buying it for. They're not buying <laughs> it for not like paper. You're not like rubbing the paper like, ooh. No, yeah. I mean, although I do love a good map. Yeah, paper. same, same, same. <sighs> like a good print a quality poem. stock mm. yeah, i'm like i i love print i prefer working in print um and actually i've noticed a lot of younger people are bringing back zines yeah hell yeah um, there i think people are more interested in uh quality over quantity i think there's a lot of stuff that you just notice keeps getting repackaged i mean no new no ideas are new ideas no. right but depending on who shares the idea um and how that resonates is what's new about it right right it's just a different context. Yeah. So it's the same thing, I think, with journalism is that, um, you know, everyone is burnt out because they really pushed people to just keep going, 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 going. And everyone is burnt out on this. We're kind of like, well, is the what's going on with the planet? Um, I kind of am being optimistic about all of it, because mm -hmm. if you aren't, then you don't have any sense of hope. And then why are you here? Yep. Right? And I kind of went through that. It was a little... It was a really dark kind of period because I had really thought about a lot of stuff and I realized that I had been so angry and sad about everything that it was destroying my heart. And I was really afraid to love myself or other people or to try to give people the benefit of the doubt because I just assumed that everyone's intent was bad. And that's a really narrow way of looking at things because how is that any more efficient than the way they look at us, right? Yeah, totally. And who is they? Who is, is they? Who is they? What does that mean? A lot of times it's just the voice in your head. Yeah. I honestly, the the biggest thing with the, um, I, I it's so funny, like you realize a lot of these words just become so mutable and meaningless yeah. or mean everything. And so there's times where I misuse words when I speak or I think I'm way more calculated with my writing and I prefer that. Um, not that I'm speaking out of turn or anything but yeah. when you have to speak candidly it really makes you vulnerable right same thing with people with their photos yeah. i mean we really did a lot of this polishing stuff as a result of i think marketing and marketing what a lifestyle is is, right. is really it's all capitalism yeah um that said i was just talking about this earlier is that if you remove all of the competition aspect then you have the other side of what people fear right which is complete uh homogenous culture right and I don't know if I want to live in a homogenous hegemony. Yeah. You kind of need diversity, right? Diverse right. populations, diverse ideas. And unfortunately, that's going to come with, like, competitive nature because, yeah. you know, the best that we can hope for is that people will invest in, um, like, socialized health care. Yeah. The fact that we... I, honestly, the biggest things that I think are holding up is there's certain industries that are completely irrelevant, but we keep placing meaning on them. Mm -hmm. So, like, obviously, Wall Street, like, the stock market has always been kind of meaningless. It's, like, money 
I don't understand how this money exists. It's right. not anything. It's that's not a like real t- thing. I'm not touching it. Did you see this the Comscore <laughs> thing that happened? No. So this there's week, too much stuff to follow. <laughs> so basically, you, and you know Comscore because you worked in digital media yeah. in the early 2010s. But Comscore was basically the key metric that a lot of major publications used to like judge the quality of the shit they were doing. And so like people's entire livelihood were were tied to these numbers. And it came out this week that the feds are basically investigating the company because everything was fake. Oh, all shocker. The are faked, all the, and so this week was kind of I think of a, most impressions are fake. When <laughs> people were telling me about these impressions, I'm like, yeah. what does that mean? What does it mean? You know, I worked in a, a experiential marketing, uh, mm-hmm. one of the first jobs that I had. Do you know, you know about the experiential marketing? Oh, like, yeah. Yeah, it's like the Dasani <laughs> guys or whatever that yeah. are out there with the water bottles. Yeah. Like, here. So I did that for a long time. I actually did it when... They were trying to get the Olympics uh, to, to Chicago. Chicago. Oh my God! Yeah, that was a long Oof, time ago. What um, a time. And we had to go to, all the way to like 95th Street and try to hand out T-shirts mm-hmm. at like six o'clock in the morning. Yeah. Um, and so, anyways, when I was there, I remember you know we'd do some of these event activations, and they would always ask us to keep track of the impressions of people, and like how many people did you talk to today, and like you know did did they listen for a while did you give out product and they you just had to and i was like i don't know i'm yeah. 22 i don't like, care i really just <laughs> want to be drinking <laughs> yeah, yeah. And also i was like i don't know how many people or what that meant for their you know drive to purchase mm-hmm. and i realized these are just these stupid numbers that companies need to to understand how to value things yeah and Unfortunately, taste is always going to be subjective and a little objective. It's going to be both. But my dad had a saying yeah. about that. He goes, "The people with money have no class, and the people with class have no Facts. no people with taste <laughs> have no money, and the people with money have no taste." Um, to that point, though, I want to take a moment to really address that because for the folks listening, y'all have to be very aware and very, 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 very calm and kind to yourselves because, especially if you work in a marketing or advertising capacity, a lot of the numbers are made up. And they're in the rooms and there's people are making this stuff up. I've been in these rooms. It's made up. And so tying your self-worth or your value to a number that's made up is only a recipe for, well, trouble, really. Like, it's not good. And so I want to be overly communicative because there was a definite not small group of people in the early 2010s, late 2000s that were like, hey, this is all BS. Like, why are we doing this? Like, why are we pushing people to dig and like sites like that? Why are we doing clickbait? Like, this isn't real. And the market responded because people got tired of it, you know? And, and, and I think now we have an, like a lost generation of kids who were those recession kids who were doing all that writing in the early blog era who got so burnt out by the hamster wheel of it that they don't want to do any writing at all. So we lost like a generation of people who would have probably been like that next class of great writers because they're like, I don't want to fucking spend two months in, you know, Did all this time. Though? No, their their ambition to create stuff died. I think they're getting it back because I think that we're not dead. So as long as you're still in the simulation, you still yeah. get to play it. Yeah. And so I think that's one of the things that really revived my perspective on wanting to write was that I got so tired of writing for everyone else that I realized I was not writing for myself anymore. Mm. I was not writing for love. Really? And you okay. have to, like, I mean, you have to remember is that people will see the kind of work I do as like constant fun. But for me, it's work. And I've seen things from the back end because I worked on the trade side. I understand restaurants, hotels, um, anywhere, no matter what the level is, are filled with laborers. Mm -hmm. And 
you know that there are some people who will go into a room and they will not see what is done for them and they will not see who has done that for them and they don't appreciate it because perhaps they don't have the perspective of doing that for other people. Yep. I mean, I have people who are saying, man, everyone should go through hospitality of some form just to like understand how to treat human beings, you know, because that's the thing is that I I love hospitality so much. It's like... It's like a magic show, you know? Yeah. I mean, that's what they talk with dinner theater or all these restaurants that are doing these elaborate things that you pay money for. Right. Is that you want to go to escape your regular form of day and you want to be entertained and dazzled and taken care of. And whether that's in a hotel mm-hmm. or that's in a restaurant, you want to feel like you matter and you want to feel somebody to, you're paying for people to be nice to you, right. to treat you well, to feed you, to take care of you. And I love that about them. But I also know that these people work such crazy hours. They work so hard and there's so much toxicity and all of these issues that there's myriads of them. I mean, if you follow anything with food, you could find out countless exploitations and abuse, even down to just where you get your tomatoes from, right? Yeah. So because of that, I have a very strong appreciation of the people that I write about and the people that I invite to go into their restaurants and how that needs to be recommended. Right. And depending on the publication or whatever is how I change it. So the thing is, is that when you write for all these different publications, after a while you start feeling like you're writing for their audience and you don't know who your audience is. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of where I went into the book um, or really, you know, tried to pivot into doing this thing is it was an opportunity, but it really made me, Um, connect with myself and my own writing in a meaningful way again. And so actually after writing the book, I had lost, I had to put up a lot of my own money on it. You know, you have to remember if we're going to talk about back ends of the business of this, a a big thing that you have to count on is that this is a business of privilege. And most of the people that get ahead, I mean, I don't know why I chose such a privilege job because I did not come from a lot of privilege. I think I just really... It was like the only thing I got. Right. I mean, I remember when I was in college, I was looking for an internship and one of the, I had a food column. It was called Dinner with Carly. That's where like all this (laughs) came from is that I would go on blind dates and review the restaurant and the date. And sometimes I'd go by myself. And so I remember my first column was a burrito big enough for two conquered by one. And it was like (laughs) sitting between these two couples which and just talking about eating this burrito. And I kind of had that with most things that I really just had fun with my writing. And once I had to do it professionally and you start looking at the metrics and what this means, they really force you to... It's, it becomes very abusive. You just feel the stress of everybody. And yeah. that's what a newsroom, of course, always is. But 100%. the difference is, like, if you're doing hard news or something, it feels like there's a little bit more integrity. And I remember when I was working, you know, for one place a long time ago that was a major major publisher, um, I remember Twitter had, like, sort of just come out. Mm-hmm. And one editor had a really the, the bright idea to say, why don't we uh, post tweets from like from Twitter, like what chefs are saying every 15 minutes, like to create an entire blog on this. And they wanted us to do like, all, it was just, it was so insane. Um, and you just had to do all these blogs and all these updates and everything. And, you know, meanwhile, you're making what, like, I think I, I might've made $38,000 or something at the time. And because they treat you like an independent contractor, oh, yeah. you're responsible for 100% of your uh, taxes. You don't get any health insurance or any benefits out of it. Um, And then at the end of the year, you have to pay out of pocket for it all. 
and try to write off things. Yeah. But meanwhile, after all of that, you're making what 20% less of that. So yeah. your, your income ends up being like poverty levels. Um, and meanwhile, you have to go to all these restaurants and talk about this whole lifestyle of eating at these fancy places mm-hmm. and doing stuff. So, and you're not a member of that world. And I know a lot of other people in media are getting more outspoken about it because we realize that it's been devalued, right? right. I realized even early on that they told me, I think I asked for 35 because I didn't even know what my valuation is. They, nobody, when you look up, people are like, what's your price what is valuation? Your, no one is going to tell you what the number is. You, nope. And so you either need to swallow <laughs> your pride. Find some homies or people who are in the world that you're trying to get into and be like, uh, how much you pay for this and not be worried about the ramifications? Because I think this is one of the things that I think was a byproduct of like, you know, the Me Too movement and just kind of the democratization of people's like, you know, lives. It was like, hey, how much do you make? And having that conversation and finding out, hey, shit, I make more money than a woman who is doing my exact same job. Yeah. And there's no reason. Or I found out I found out a personal example of that. I found out that a woman, a white woman that I worked with who like blatantly took all of my shit, like would like take things that I'd written and like pass it off as her own work, was making triple what I was making. How long had she been there? Uh, Three years before me. Okay. So this is the thing that I always find interesting because you have to remember there is, of course, I think these things end up being relative because yeah. there is, of course, sexism and racism oh, yeah. are massively a part of this. For sure. Um, and I know this. So here's the thing. They always tell you this and nobody actually does it because they always get really scared. I think you should ask up front what you like, what you actually think you deserve. Okay. And you're going to probably hear no Mm -hmm. a lot. And you have to realize that as it's being driven down, what you're, what you need to do ahead of time is say, what is the base number that I will like accept on this? Right. And you have to remember that when you take an opportunity, it's not always financial on the front end because you learn a lot of stuff sometimes scrapping by. And also, if you're a college student, you're not going to make as much as me because I have 15 years on you. Yep. So my number isn't going to be your number. Right. Um, and I have, a, even with 15 years experience, I have way more experience than a lot of people who also have 15 years experience right. with me. So it's a matter of when you talk about valuation and worth, you have to remember that you will be valued by your employer or they will judge you on it, right? But you also have to remember yourself And if you think that what they're offering you is fair for the amount of work that you're going to do. So if you say that you're going to take a job and they expect you to travel 70% of the time, you really need to think, do I really want to be on the road for 70% of the time doing all of this stuff? Right. Because most people think it's just about the money and it's not. If you are unhappy in your job, if there is a job that you think you would rather do, then you will keep going on. And smart companies invest in their employees and they try to foster them. Um, And that's where most companies that have the longevity keep going. But as far as how you operate as a freelancer, I, at a certain point, I realized that I had so many opportunities that I could say no to stuff. And once I started being able to say no to stuff, it didn't matter if they said no, because I was like, I don't care. Right. So that's really the secret is that once you get to a certain point that you actually value yourself and you know what your worth is, whatever that may be, you have to factor in your time and if that time and that opportunity are worth it, because sometimes I take things that are way lower than I would actually charge someone right. because the opportunity suits me or the person that I'm working with suits me. Right. Um, and so it's relative. That's why I'm like, oh, I could tell people, you know, what I made last year and what I made the year before or the year to this year or next year. They're right. all relative because as a freelancer, you're your own business. So you're basically operating as your own content studio. And that is a lot of work to do. Yeah. 
And you know what? Some people think I'm going to go do this and some people can. Some people need to realize that, you know, it's okay to have a bullshit job you don't care about and you probably are going to have one even if you become a big famous writer. Yes. You always have to do something you don't want to do unless yes. you happen to be a gazillionaire and even then you will still not necessarily be happy. Because yeah, because you're going to have to pay higher taxes. But yeah. even then, like... Or just in general, right? Yeah, I mean, in general, you everybody, you, all, you there's never a point. Happiness isn't where, yeah. predicated on money. I mean, when they talk about happiness buying money, mm -hmm. that's so relative, right? Because you need your basic needs met, and I don't think that basic needs though don't make you happy. No. Like once you have your basic needs met, you need ambition and drive. Like you need that anxiety to keep going. But when you are burnt out on your anxiety, you can't help yourself. You can't help anyone else. So. That's one of the things is like you always need to look for the balance. And if your stomach hurts, I know people who are like throwing up from stress, like straight up. The amount of people that I know are having anxiety attacks. Yeah. I have been seeing people go straight unhinged and I'm like, yeah. OK, this is becoming like generational burnout. And generation is so relative, but it's true. Like the the workforce. That's is what I was talking about in terms right? of like the recession kids. Like what happened was you saw a generation of kids and to your point a generation, but like people who who all were in this same line of work all around the same age who were just pushing and pushing and pushing. And now 10 years out of it, you have people who are just like, I don't want to like, I love music still. I don't want to listen to anything. I don't, I'll wait till after it comes out. I don't want to have an opinion immediately for Twitter. Like I don't, it, the association of something that used to bring me pleasure brings me pain. Yeah. And that's horrible. Well, I think also we had too many voices, right? And I think a lot of people were too busy trying to figure out the right way to operate with all of these voices that they stop listening to themselves and reason and logic. And also, if you remember, I know it's we don't think about our grandparents very much, but they <laughs> fought for the 40 hour work week, yeah. which it is not lost on me that we are in Chicago where Sim uh, Upton Sinclair's yeah. famous jungle yeah. is about. Right. I mean, when I used to before they started ripping up the west loop i was like oh, i feel like i can hear the voices yeah. of the children that were like, <laughs> that were like working the, in yeah, these factories right? yeah. and it, there was an eeriness about it and it's weird because a lot of these buildings when you talk about erasure like a lot of this has been erased mm -hmm. i mean the whole i've seen chicago go through many iterations and it will continue to do that yeah. that's just what happens right um but yeah i mean i think that people who feel bad about being burned out or missing the larger picture, which is that it is normal to feel burned out and it is abnormal to expect people to work this much and to Damn. be this tuned in and to have their smartphones on them at all times. We didn't have, when you had smart, when you had computers back in the day, they were at home. Yep. So people were reading books and yeah. they were going to the park or they were having, you know, normal nine to five schedules. Right. The freelance economy, unfortunately, is really... Uh, you know, they tried to make it sound like we're empowering all these people, but really they're just cutting costs and they're like, well, we don't want to outsource it. Right. And I'm like, well, the reason why people don't value what you're putting out is because you're putting out cheap stuff. So if you value it higher, it has higher valuation and that's what people pay for. Mm -hmm. People want to buy books. They want to buy yeah. like things. People still buy all of this stuff. They buy it. I mean, I think th these patterns, people are like, Carly, you know, a book doesn't make you any money. And I'm like, why do you think that did you think I just wrote the book to get rich off of it? Yeah. You know, like I wrote a travel guide to Hudson Valley and the Catskills because I love it. And there's so much going on there. And honestly, when you look at these ancillary cities, these places that um, are out in the country, like 
there's a lot more culture that's starting to happen there because people, you know, are go are saying we all tried to go into urban centers thinking that's where all the culture is, that we abandon the fact that culture can be anywhere, anywhere. as long as you permit it to exist. If you try to stifle out change, if you try to stifle out things that are diverse or different, yeah. then you are not creating a culture and that's why you will lose it and be stuck in the past. That's why Chicago isn't at a level that Chicago wants to be at. I think Chicago is probably at one of the most progressive parts of Chicago that I have seen it at. Agreed. No, I yeah. completely, I think and it's a lot better than it used Western to be. Western Avenue will always be under construction. Yeah, forever. Forever. <laughs> Every street will always be ripped up. Yeah. And that's, I mean, I don't know. There was something about this biker that was, I forget where it was, but it's somewhere around Lakeshore Drive. There's mm. some um, like ramp that you have to get on for yeah. biking. Yeah. And apparently they started it and then closed it. Like it never went anywhere. It just ended. There's these bikers. They were trying to interview them. I think I was in, I think I was in New York or somewhere yeah. else when I saw this report, and it was so funny. I was cracking up because they're interviewing this guy, and he's talking about like this ramp that had been there for something like eight years he's or something. Like, yeah. And he's like, I don't know, that's Chicago for you. And I'm like, that is the most Chicago thing I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> Chicago, just like I, I always tell people, that in order to really understand the Chicago mindset, you have to understand that we're perpetually underimpressed. Yes. It's well, just like, look, it's Chicago. It's not going to, it's not going to be like You know, I think it's like the fact that it's the second city will always be a chip on its shoulder. Like yeah. we're not second. We're, nah, 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 nah. but then they, yeah, I'm, I will, <laughs> we're I'm awesome also, too. <laughs> yeah, I'm also on that train, but I'm also like, I don't want to compare Chicago to any other city. A Good. lot of cities have a lot of yes. shit in common, but the things that we do here are unique. So they let's are. focus on those things versus trying to be like, well, we also have cronuts. Yeah, I, you know? <laughs> that's what I loved is that I saw that Chicago is borrowing too many ideas from the outside instead of fostering yeah, what it already had. And that's why it loses the talent, you know? I mean, a lot of writers and people who work in movies and all this stuff leave because people were hesitant to embrace the people that were trying to do this stuff here. Because look at Neo. Neo is gone, right? Neo yeah. is the goth club that used to exist there. Oh, yeah. And there's all these, I mean... There's so many relics, and it's not just here. It's in New York. It's everywhere. This is just progress, right? Some businesses survive and some don't. But it also, like, the history of what music was in Chicago, it's art, it's writing, it's architecture. I feel like I'm seeing so much of these replications of deco. And I'm like, well, why don't we just get more people in who are doing this architecture and let them go wild with whatever they think is their cool idea? And then it creates authenticity by just letting creative people do creative things in the city that they love yeah it's also just really funny because you don't need corporate sponsorship to do it yeah like i've it's actually really funny um i can't talk about what it's gonna happen but i actually had a couple of meetings with the city and on a cultural uh standpoint i'm gonna help out with this program that they're putting together and it's really exciting and i'm just like fucking super hyped but that was the main thing i was like Instead of trying to focus on what everyone else is doing and try to do like, oh, well, Brooklyn did this, Austin did this, Nashville did this. Like if it was something that we could own or, hey, what are we the best at? Let's 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 officially stake our claim of being the things that you you have to come to Chicago for these things. Yes. And stop joining the conversation. Yeah, start it. Start it. <laughs> you know what I say? Uh, less less commentary, more creation. Like, yes. you know, um, yeah. less consumption, more creation. Um, but to that point, I want to go back and talk about the book because 
you have a book coming out, Carly. That's so exciting. I know. It's I finally got the cover. I mean, I had the cover for a little bit because I had a few choices, but um, I had actually seen it's part of a series. So mine was actually supposed to come out a while ago, but it's it worked out really well because my book is coming out April 2020. So I'm like I'm manifesting 420. (laughs) Like ah yes, I'm doing the cannabis industry and also I'm doing this travel stuff with Hudson Valley and the Catskills and. Um, all of my secrets are in there. So <laughs> I got to actually do this really deep dive into what's cool, what's happening up there. And it is gorgeous. I think that, um, you know, the Hudson Valley and the Catskills both have this really storied history. There's so much of early America that's there. Like mm-hmm. everybody had to pass through this place. Right. So as far as some of the oldest parts of America, when you're like, what is the beginnings of history? Yeah. It's all through this place. Yeah. And um, for better or worse. Uh, and there's, it's so beautiful and it's such a massive landscape. Um, that's a big thing that I will say that like the East coast has over the Midwest is like <laughs> they have a landscape yeah. that is not flat. Yeah. I like having some mountains. You like me. a little hill, hill action. Yeah. Not, I'm not West coast. I think I'm definitely East coast, I like but that. I like West coast too. They're cool. But, um, and I like the mid coast. So, you know, that's what I, I always called Chicago, the mid coast. Yeah. It makes sense. It the is. fourth coast. Yeah. Fourth coast. I don't know. Where is, oh, is the, is the, the south, south the third yeah. court? Oh, yeah. you can't get the south the third coast. They just they <laughs> they had they had better rap albums come out before we did, and so you kind of have to like. Uh, All right. Well, uh, Chicago still has a lot of love for me. I I love uh, I love so much about Chicago, um, but my book. So my yeah. book is has nothing to do with Chicago. It actually. doesn't. It has nothing <laughs> it, to do with it. But maybe you'll come out <laughs> east, and then you guys don't have to hate on it because it's not New York City because it's actually going up into the country. There you go. So, um, and the thing that's really neat is that. A lot of artists, people always get priced out of New York. That's always how it's been. But a lot of these artist enclaves have always existed in Hudson Valley. They actually started the, um, it was the early roots of um, American history Mm. um, or art history specifically as well. So they had the Hudson River School. Um, There's this guy, Frederick Frederick Edwin Church. Um, who he and Thomas Cole have these estates that are across the river from each other. They're okay. just south of Hudson. And they both have, there's tons of estate tours, by the way, and they're they're so fascinating. Um, but the art there is really cool because you see this progression of American art, like including Edward Hopper with Nighthawks. He actually is from Nyack. Like there's okay, all these, I didn't like, know that. There's this Woodcliff, um, uh, or sorry, wood, uh, Woodstock, um, I have to look that up. I'll go back to that. But okay. there, like Woodstock is there, right? But Woodstock didn't happen in Woodstock. It happened in Bethel Woods, which like the town of Bethel, or it was Bethel, but they call it Bethel Woods now. And they have a whole Woodstock museum that's open there. And it's like the first Lollapalooza. And yeah. nobody thinks about that because that didn't happen anywhere until it was there. And so like Bob Dylan recorded all this stuff. Like Kate, um, Kate Pearson from the B-52s has a motel up there and it has it's called Kate's Lazy Meadow. And um, you, it's like it was designed by this artist in New York City. There's a lot of people who do really interesting lodgings. And then the farm to table food up there is like, wow, like mm. the trout when you go to um, the Catskills is so fresh and the Culinary Institute of America is up there. Like there's so much that's up there and people only know of Hudson and Beacon because it's like off the metro north. Right. But everyone else who's in like the tri-state area knows about it for the fall foliage and like skiing and all this business. So pretty much any time of year that you go, there's something cool to do, which I think is really awesome because it's not just like a seasonal escape you don't have to go when everyone else is going. In fact, it's probably better not to because it'll be really expensive. Mm-hmm. And 
There's really cool um, outsider art, experimental warehouses. There's all these young artists who are opening up really neat spaces. And like even Basilica, um, Basilica Hudson is this place that was started by Melissa off Demar. Yeah, former whole yeah. bassist. Yeah. So she has it's like a former candle. I used to have a crush on her. Well, she's up there. They, they have um it's in I think a former candle factory. It's like this it looks like a basilica kind of it, like a warehouse. Um and she hosts uh they have a few music festivals that are sort of weird outsider stuff. They do twice a year. It's Basilica Soundscape. Okay. And they also have an entire noise festival. It's called 24 Hour. I've heard of no- this. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's okay. I've heard of that. That's yeah. crazy. Okay. So there's like all these things that are going on up there. And I knew like roughly about some stuff. But when I started re- like researching that book, I was like, oh my God, what did I sign on to? Because I didn't even realize the amount of, I mean, I've done city guides yeah. for so many things. And frankly, doing a Brooklyn guide would have been so much easier than doing Hudson yeah. Valley and the Catskills because everybody's Googling it. So to that point, my book is the best because I did look at some other ones and like they're fine, but mine's the best. So you should buy mine Um, and then go see it because it's so cool. And like you don't even have to have the whole thing is it was geared towards New Yorkers who don't have cars, who don't have space. They don't have uh, camping equipment. So if you don't have any of that stuff, you can show up. You can fly into New York City. You can take a train or a bus and stay in a like a Swedish style, like Lufsa or what are they called? There's like those triangle houses, <laughs> their cabin. There's just yeah. weird little cabins. Um, these places that have look almost like Girl Scout camp from the sixties. Uh, it just really has a cool vibe. And also, you know, Dirty Dancing was inspired by, uh, it wasn't filmed there, but it was inspired by the Borscht Belt um, oh. that existed with all these resort right. culture from the sixties and fifties and that, um, is kind of comedians, getting, all that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it's like people would go up to the Poconos and stuff, right? Like these were like massive destinations and they sort of fell out of repair for a long time. Yeah. So there's been a lot of people that have been coming in and really embracing it. And one of my favorite places is the stick it in, which is the best name. <laughs> yeah, right? it's, yeah. It's pretty great. <laughs> and it's owned by this couple, uh, Johnny and Roswell. It's in the, it's not in the Catskills. It's kind of like slightly more towards it. I can, considered it still an easy getaway and i was like i love this place so much um but they make their own cider it's a hard cider so they have it (laughs) the stick it inside the stick it in hard cider the stick it inside it oh come on okay come on on. but it's it was like it's funny it's funny for them like it was not it's not in a gross way it's not like Like, mike's hard lemonade no they have like a disco um like hot tub in the back with all these cool lights it's kind of like the way that your studio is but you get to sit in a hot tub the room (laughs) we should put a hot tub in here oh that'd be so cool you could do hot tub well that i don't know that you'd have to make sure it's waterproof you don't want to electrocute yourself yeah have mold and mildew but they had um oh they had a like oh the Anyways, there's like there's so much going on out there. There's also really good haunted history, like which I love. There's all these weird little town things. There's an entire trout parade. Like there's so many weirdos all <laughs> over it. And I love the weirdos so much. Yeah. So my favorite thing is that it doesn't matter where you go in Hudson Valley or the Catskills because you can't do it in one trip. Like I man, I didn't even get everything. Like I was just trying to get to all the sites and do it and I saw so many things that are cool, and I know that it's been a year since I've been up there, and probably even more has been added. You know, that's, that's awesome. like that's probably the biggest part of writing a book that feels so hard is you're like, oh, let's get it to print so I just can be like, it'll be it's, accurate, yeah. so I don't can be done with it because <laughs> there's so much I want to add to it, and I I know I can't, but um, 
Anyways, I hope you get to come out there. Damn right. This is cool. Yeah. And yeah. they're doing more direct flights to Stewart International, or <laughs> which it is. They do. An international? They do have an international airport in Newburgh, which is crazy because that's where I flew out from Dublin. Oh, wow. Because Air Norwegian and some other flights are starting to go there because that area is becoming a destination. But funny enough... Um, there, I think Dublin is the only international location or I like that. It's kind of like a cool little flex. It's like, oh yeah, we yeah. have a flight to Dublin. The rest of it goes to like Fort Lauderdale and, yeah. like, and like Orlando. Orlando. Like every, Tampa, like, yeah. yeah, like Fort Wayne. I feel like it's going, <laughs> it goes to some weird like destinations that people from the area probably just always flew through. Yeah. But it's a super small airport, but it's kind of neat. Plus, uh, when legalization happens, yeah. you know it's going to be like Oh, it's going to be insane. Yeah. It's like Palm Springs. I So I do have a little bit of a prediction. Okay, I, I love know, this. I don't I love know if it. I should share this prediction, though. Do? I mean, well, you know what? You feel comfortable sharing it. You can. If you don't, you don't. It's fine. Okay. Well, I'm not going to be buying up. I don't have any money to buy up real estate up there, so it's probably fine. But if this anyone that listens to your podcast will have a very good tip on this. Yeah. I think that the appropriately named Green County is going to be like the Emerald Triangle of Hudson Valley. Okay. It's G-R-E-E-N-E. And the funny thing is, is that actually is the one county in the book that straddles Hudson Valley and the Catskills. It actually is both. Best of both worlds. Yeah, because it's on the river, but it goes into the Catskills. Okay. And so I'm like, I hope that's the Emerald Trail. If it's, not, like somebody's got to open a good head shop or something in there. It's like the one, like, <laughs> shout out to all the paid subscribers if y'all have money, because obviously you're spending it on things, maybe. Yeah, this is a paid tip. Yeah, this is a paid <laughs> tip. We're going to put this in the, this is only in the for the, the paid subscribers. Yeah, paid subscribers. that one little segment out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, all right, you want to know what's hot and weed? You got to pay for it. Yeah, <laughs> that's, I mean, that's usually how as it long works. As long as you're, I hope you get paid for all of it. Yeah, everybody <laughs> should get paid for everything that they exactly. do. Um, I okay. love asking. To, I'm like, pay me. I had that for a while. I started doing hashtag. <laughs> I would do hashtag pay me, like whatever brand I was putting on my Instagram. Before I forget, <laughs> you are without a doubt the seltzer influencer. Thank I say you. this because I and, I, and people, oh, my, my guy at work. No, Carly Fisher. I can, and I know this because I have receipts. Carly was the one who made sparkling water happen. Thank you. Finally, the recognition I, like, I deserve. Like I'm sorry. Like, and it, the funny part is, like, I know because I've seen it, but also I know because you were the first. Like, you introduced me to all kinds of different kinds of seltzers, like the East Coast Midwest connection. Like, you were the first to be like, "And eh, Lacroix is not actually it." And I was like, "What? We just we just found out about Lacroix. It's so fantastic in these flavors." Well, I mean, and I loved like, it nah. since the '80s. Yeah, I you, mean, not, I mean, not since you the legitimately 80s. are so a sparkling water influencer, <laughs> though, and I want to be on record as saying that. So, Thank you. You know, so that when you are finally recognized for your contributions to the sparkling water community, I can say that I heard about it first. Yeah, hashtag Pay Me Lacroix. Yeah. yeah, they owe you brother. like several checks. Everybody does. Give me my checks. I'm waiting for them. <laughs> Pay Carly. <laughs> but yeah, no, I mean, I definitely, I hope someday I get a good bubble award for that. Right. But you know, I just like my water, like my personality. You How know? do you feel about these sparkling seltzers that are like booze now? Okay, listen, I do have an opinion on that yeah. because <laughs> that is basically Smirnoff ice. They just made it less saccharine. They're just mm -hmm. trying to make it sound like it's seltzer water because I've had it and it's like it's a malt beverage. So yeah. how is, it's like Smirnoff ice but with less sugar, which is fine, but like don't tarnish seltzer. Thank you. Or just put booze yeah. in your seltzer. Yeah, or like, or yeah, put booze in your seltzer. Like why not just throw a little vodka in there? What's wrong with that? People just overcomplicate things. <laughs> <laughs> One of my friends had the best hat. It said vodka seltzer, and I was like, please, or vodka soda. Vodka soda. And I was like, oh man, that's a good hat to have. You got it. Well, here we go. It's so you, basic. You gotta, yeah, but sometimes <laughs> you need a basic tea. 
See, for me, I I do love seltzer, but um, I'm very ambivalent about vodka. They are actually more of these uh, infused flavors are starting yeah. to come out, but some of it is becoming a little bit more of the terroir where they're doing less distillation to mm. give it flavor. Because I think I'm about flavor. Like I don't, Vodka tastes the exact same to me. I think that like when I drink, I actually don't like care about drinking that much because I'm like a glutton, so I just <laughs> love the way that it tastes. Like if I drink a bottle of wine, it's because it's really good. Right. You know, like right. not, but you know, and that's why I say I'm like, me- it's medicine. So I understand that some people abuse it and some people don't, yeah. and some people don't like it, and it's okay. And I think people just need to stop judging everybody for why they're doing stuff. As long as like if they're doing it to themselves, just say, you know, like if somebody wants to drink or not drink, like just. It's not, know, yeah, it's, it doesn't matter. It's not your stop call. Stop trying to judge everybody. Don't be a judgy person. Yeah, don't be a judgy bitch. <laughs> That's my motto. Ladies and gentlemen, the 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 hero that we all need, the voice of reason for many, including myself, Carly Fisher, thank you so much for being on Office Hours again. <sighs> thank you. It is always a joy. And this is, I think, maybe my first podcast. Really? Yeah. Hell yeah. I'm just, look, exclusives. You see people, this is what you get when you sign up for this organization that we are currently building This is Office Hours. My name is Ernest Wilkins, and we will see you next time. Oh, wait, wait. We're going to pause because I'm going to redo the intro, the exit, I should say. Carly, where can people find you if they're looking for you? Um, I like Instagram because it doesn't annoy me. So you can follow me at Dinner with Carly on Instagram. I'm also on Twitter, which under uh, Carly A. Fisher. Um, But if you're going to hate on me, I'm just like probably not going to respond to you. There it is. All right. This is Office Hours. I'm Ernest Wilkins. We will talk to you next time. Office Hours with Ernest Wilkins was recorded live at Mass in the greatest city in the world, Chicago, USA.